Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest was born and grew up in West Belfast. He is the fiction editor of The Tangerine, and his work has appeared in Winter Papers, The Steam Fly, The Lifeboat, and in The 32, an anthology of Irish working class writing. He recently received his PhD in creative writing from Queen's University, Belfast. His debut novel, Close to Home, is out now. Please welcome Michael McGee. Hey, Michael. How you doing today? I'm not, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. I'm sort of getting geared up to go to Cork tomorrow and then Galway the next day. So I'm sort of being uh, traveled around Ireland, reading at book festivals at the minute. So oh, sort of just gear myself up for that. Yeah. Sounds terrific. Yeah. And um, is your book coming out the same time in America as it is in the UK and Ireland? So it came out, it came out over here. That's right. What, last week or just at the start of the month. It was like the 6th. Um, and then America uh, in May, I think That's it's right. so like a month from yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So, so two different release dates for you. Uh, um, I, I would love for you to tell readers what a close to home is all about. So it's about a young sort of university graduate uh, called Sean. He basically is the first person in his family really to go to university. Mm-hmm the first person probably out of his friendship group as well he's a working class boy so not a lot of people around him have have got that educational background and he returns home to belfast from liverpool and sort of falls back in with the group of friends he grew up with Mm -hmm. and a group of friends that are sort of you know they're they're working lives they've went on to do trades building trades and stuff like that and the novel's set in and around 2012, so it's just the years sort of immediately following the economic crash in 2008. Mm-hmm. So all the people around them have suddenly lost their livelihoods, you know, and a lot of them have left the country and pursued work elsewhere, maybe in Australia or America or England. And so the people he's sort of left with are the ones that are left behind and, you know, people who find other outlets for their sort of disillusionment, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they sort of fall into old habits and he follows along. And one night at a house party, he gets into a bit of an argument and assaults this guy. And I guess the rest of the novel is him sort of trying to understand where that violent impulse came from, but also working his way through, uh, you know, trying to trying to make a living for himself, trying to keep a job, trying to find a place to live. But in an environment that makes that mm-hmm. very hard for someone, even with yeah. uh, a degree in the humanities, which we all know can sometimes not be worth the paper it's written on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's uh, yeah, yeah, sort of stuck. Definitely. Um, yeah, I love the book. I can't wait to dive into questions with you. But uh, what part of Close to Home will you be reading for us today? I could just read from the first few pages from the start. Perfect. That's yeah. all right. Yeah. Okay. Take it away. Happy days. So, the first chapter. There was nothing to it. I swung and hit him and he dropped. A girl came flying forward and pushed me. What'd you do that for? The lad was lying there and I was standing over him and there were people all around me making noise. By the time I got away from this tussle, two Land Rovers had pulled up. A jaded looking peeler with a receding hairline came towards me. Is that blood? 
he said, pointing to a stain on my shirt that could have been anything. He took my name and number and told me he would be in touch. I held my hands up and said that was no problem. The lad came at me, I said. I didn't know what to do. At the top of the street, the lad was put on a stretcher and the stretcher was heaved into the back of an ambulance. I think it's best you make your way home, the peeler said. I decided he was a good peeler, a helpful peeler. We'll be in touch, he said, and I thanked them. Thanks very much, I said. Back at the flat, Brian had his phone in his face and was pacing up and down the living room, looking for a party. But it was five o'clock in the morning and the birds were out. He pulled the blinds closed as if that would help and nearly took the window with him. The brightness. I grabbed the purple throw my ma had given us as a moving in present and pulled it over my head. I lay with my head on the pillow and stirred through the space between the empty bottles. Brian checked the fridge, the cupboard next to the fridge. He lifted a can from the counter and gave it a shake. I give up, I said. Give up? You haven't done fuck all. I'm going to bed. Fuck's sake, Sean, don't leave me hanging here. I'm not leaving you anywhere, I'm in the next room. Bounce into my bed, sure. We'll watch a film. We need to stop doing this. Come on. The window above the bed was open and the breeze wafted through. I stripped down to my boxers and climbed under the covers, but stayed on the outside so I could creep into my own bed as soon as Ryan passed out. The wall was black with mould and it made the room smell damp. There were clothes all over the place, takeaway cartons, cups and glasses and empty cans. Ryan smoked too much weed, that's what it was. I made him lazy. I made him not give a bollocks. I said to him, you smoke too much of that shit, and took the spliff off him. He didn't care. He was sinking into it nicely. And he had his favourite film on, Shawshank Redemption. He made me watch it every time we ended up like this. It gave him hope. Watch this, he said. It was that scene he loved. The one where Andy Dufresne arrives at the penitentiary and all the inmates are going mad screaming at him, calling him and the rest of the newcomers fresh fish. I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. That was Ryan's favourite line. He thought it was brilliant. I did too. Never judge a book by its cover. That's what that means. Never judge anybody, because you never know. The next morning, or later that morning, whatever way you want to put it, Somebody was at the door. I rolled on the side and tried to go back to sleep, but Ram was up. He was shaking me, and he was like, that doesn't sound good. I sat up on the edge of the bed. It was better to do these things in stages, and watch Ran lean with his ear against the door. Sounds like there's a few of them, he said. Men? Aye, men. I looked out the window and saw a car parked up at the front of the block. The driver's side door was open. I heard a radio. Not the kind that played music. The other one. It's not the peelers, Rand said. How do you know? Because they would have shouted. They always shout. Footsteps. The knocking stepped. Footsteps echoed out the hall and were gone. The living room was a state. There were fag butts everywhere. Spilled drink. 
Some dirty bastard had been flicking ice in the bottle caps, and the bottle caps had fallen on the floor. I brushed and mopped and got rid of the empties. Then I sat for a minute and looked out the window. We had a good view. The flat was on the fourth floor, so we could see right over the rooftops to Caseman Park and the mountain. You can't miss the mountain. It's everywhere you go. Every street and road in West Belfast, you can't get away from it. Whoever's writing those messages up there knows fine rightly as well. They couldn't have picked a better spot. Today, it was a massive tricolour, and underneath it they had written the words, and internment. Who do you think it was? Rand said. Don't know. Dissidents? Why would dissidents be called here? I thought you meant the mountain. Rand looked out the window. That's not dissidents, you rabbit. Who is it then? Fuck knows, could be anyone, he said. Then he clapped his hands. It's the Illuminati. The Illuminati have infiltrated the Ra. He opened the fridge and stared at the empty shelves. The acne on his back was getting worse. The pimples had gone purple and bubbled under the skin. Six months in the gym will do it. And the steroids he made me inject into his arse cheek every other day. You could see it in his face. The puffiness. The jacked up redness around his neck and shoulders. We need food, he said. Have you cash? No oh, fuck. Smoked everything last night. Me too. I boiled the kettle and brought it with me into the bathroom. Filled the sink with hot water and topped it up with cold. The boiler was broke. There was no heat in the radiators, no hot water. And it wasn't like I could phone the landlord and ask him to sort it out. He went bankrupt and did a runner to Spain, leaving a load of properties to be repossessed. That's why we didn't answer the door that morning. It could have been someone looking to turf us out. I started on my hair, giving it a good go with shampoo. I used a cup to rinse the suds and got to splashing my balls and torso. Then I sat on the edge of the bath and looked at my hand. The knuckles weren't swollen and my fingers were all intact. I made a fist and stared at it, then at my arm right up to the shoulder where the thin lines of my tribal tattoo were so black they looked blue. I need to get out of this, I thought. I didn't know what this was. Thank you so much for reading. Um, I think anyone who is listening, what I loved about the book is like your sense of voice for the narration. Um, and usually with these podcasts, I do talk a lot about like the writer's history, but I am curious. I want to jump right into, like, does that come naturally for you? Like, how much do you think about the voice when you're writing? It's it's interesting actually because when I the first thing I wrote, um, the first draft I wrote, wrote of the book, the the one page that remained unchanged throughout the course of writing the book, which was you know four five six years maybe. Mm-hmm was the first page that opening the there was nothing to it i swung and hit him and he dropped a guard came flying forward and pushed me and they were the first lines i wrote and that that just sort of hit hit the voice perfectly yeah. and, and but strangely as as the through the process of writing the book i sort of diverged from it a lot that and there was instances where and it was sort of caught between using this voice and then using a more high, a higher register that I kept sort of falling into. And I guess it was a sort of, you know, a, 
you know, a, 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 an impulse to try and write. Um, I'm using our quotes here, but to try and you know, make it more literary. And it sort of took a long time for me to 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 to, to come out of that. And the, and the, and I remember I put a actually put a post-it note on my uh, the screen of my computer here saying, um, "Don't write anything Sean wouldn't say." Mm. And so that was the kind of in the front of my head the whole time I spent writing and rewriting the book. Um, but it, it, it was strange because it did come very naturally at first. And, and then it sort of was a process of trying to retain it yeah. over the course of like two, 300 pages, you know. Um, and I think whenever you, you know, this is like, I, I've, you know, I've tried to write novels before this, but I'm still very much at the start of my literary career, as it mm-hmm. were, and there's not a lot to learn. So there was, it was a process of just trying to, trying to keep it consistent. Yeah, and not lose it at any point because it's very easy to sort of slip. I think like and and it can even one sentence can just take you away from it, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when 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 you were, I'm curious. Like, did you when you were trying to make a literary in air quotes? Was that something you thought you needed to do? Like, I'm curious. Like, what like new writers? I think so like it's it. sort of. I think that was always something I. There was a tension probably within myself about what my ideas of what literature was and, and what um what mm-hmm. material was, was worthy of of the literary novel do you know mm-hmm. and the sort of thing that i had was that you know i come from a background where there wasn't much in the way of you know books or indeed literature written from the place that i'm from there's mm-hmm. some books but very few and, far, and they're few and far between i guess and so there's always this sort of feeling that um you know, you. I guess you're walking into a world where the impulse is to assimilate, you know, and but you're sort of fighting against that in some way. And it, it took me a long time to realize that the, my voice was kind of important as to who I was and what I had to say, and and the community and the place that I was writing about, you know. And so I, I kind of had the, and and the way I did that essentially was to trick myself into thinking that I wasn't writing a novel at all, you know. Mm-hmm. I sort of had to put that out of my head in a way, and. Yeah. Think about it in 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 terms of, I I I sort of the 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 novel actually started as a letter, mm. and so that was a kind of process of writing sort of things that I hadn't or felt some way um, ashamed to say or reluctant to go into, even just in terms of my personal life, but also in terms of the world I come from, and sort of I think that was always the difficulty about writing any sort of novel was that. I felt the degree of responsibility towards that world and getting it right. And so, and sometimes you just have to, you know, put that out of your head and, and sort of just say the things you want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You mentioned how there's not a lot of books from where you're from, but I'm curious, what was reading and writing like growing up for you? Was it a part of your life? Yeah, like, well, it's sort of. I, I sort of came late. I started well. I started reading when I was a teenager. You know, I mm-hmm. sort of started reading a lot of fantasy novels and swords and. Mm-hmm. And works mm-hmm. and all that stuff like that was kind of my entry yeah. point that I th- and I was kind of always writing since I was very young I kind of had a obsession with story telling stories and, mm-hmm. or making, making things up um but I sort of I started taking literature seriously when I was about 16 17 I think we were given uh that Hemingway novel of farewell the arms mm. in school you know and and I read that and it, and it sort of blew the top of my head off I didn't and then, and, and alongside that there was a short story that our teacher gave us which was Soldier's Home 
um, that Hemingway wrote. And I remember reading that and it sort of dawned on me that, you know, there was all sorts of possibilities for what you could do, um, particularly in the constraints of a short story. Um, and for a long time, actually, short stories were kind of a, a bit of an obsession for me. Um, and that was when I started actually like, reading. I read a lot of American writers off the back of that. Um, I think, and I remember like finding your door wealthies collected stories in a charity shop around about that time, and and um, lugging that around me around with me for about ten years, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then as you take it seriously, um, what is your path then? Are, are you, obviously, like, <clears throat> um, education in in Ireland is different than. Uh, yeah, UK, yeah. So I. Know. I sort of I went to so I I just I got through school by the skin of my teeth. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie, so mm-hmm. you know I I actually what well, didn't have any interest in in going to university at all. I was I was going to follow the trajectory that everybody around me had followed and maybe go into building or work on building sites, trade become a tradesman. Like I was thinking about becoming a, a bricklayer. Actually, was was where I was going. Mm. Um, and then I did like you know you do like a work experience thing. And I did that in the building site and, and it was like October and it was just pissing down with rain and it was just fucking miserable, man. <laughs> it was like, yeah. oh, this isn't this isn't what this I'm interested in at all. So um I sort of quickly uh turned a corner and then luckily, you know, got got through school and got a place in a university in Liverpool, which isn't by any stretch of imagination a prestigious university, but it was it it suited me. It worked for me in terms of you know, there wasn't a lot of pressure in, in the same way that you would get with, say, Oxford or Cambridge or somewhere like that. And it was a, I think, joint sort of degree with um, English and creative writing. Mm-hmm. So I had like this experience, my first sort of workshop experience when I was like 18, you know, and fell in love with it and thought it was just like, you know, it was an incredible space to work in for me and meet other people who were writing. And I was a very kind of earnest, young and sentimental young guy. Like, so I was like kind of, absorbing all this information about how to do it and then and then i came back to belfast and did a master's in creative writing at queens um and then you know through my 20s was sort of this process of you know working low-paid jobs and the rent i could and and then trying to write and then i and then i got accepted on the phd in my late 20s um and that's when i started writing this book which was the yeah yeah Throughout that time, like, because, you know, that is like the traditional way that writers, you know, undergrad, MFA, etc. Yeah, like, yeah. Throughout that time, and tra- there's no traditional way. That was an air quotes for people yeah, to yeah, see our conversation. <laughs> um, but, you know, like that is like a way like Americans know, like American yeah. listeners will know like, oh, that's yeah, similar MFA, blah, blah, blah. But um, when, when do you kind of um, like, what are you writing during that time? Is it similar to what? close to home is or what are you exploring throughout your 20s um it was similar like i, I was sort of I, I had like a couple of failed attempts at writing mm-hmm. novels but kind of similar the first one i wrote was maybe during my master's back in 2011 maybe and it was about a young guy um having them had actually been sort of totally had to leave belfast under threat mm-hmm. of um a paramilitary threat and has to move to liverpool so it was a different trajectory you know I was all through, and I, I published a couple of short stories during that time and a few essays and stuff like that. But and I was always writing characters who were, you know, based on 
that were from the place I'm from. Yeah. And was sort of vaguely enough writing in that setting, but there was always like I kept making stuff up. Um not that I didn't make up a lot for this novel, but I was sort of there was a falsity to the things I was saying. There was a weird, like superficial kind of relationship with the thing, or at least the stories I was writing were kind of superficial and a bit um, slight. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just this general reluctance in me to sort of go in too too deep or to or to try and excavate the territory that I was sort of working in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and that again comes out of like what my sort of completely confused ideas of what literature was, you know. Um, yeah. And I think during that period of my life, I was sort of like Sean in the book, sort of moving between two social worlds, you know, and, and yeah. I, I didn't, and I, I had this inner confusion, you know, about who I was and where I was going and trying performing all the time and sort of being on the shelf, sort of surveilling myself all the time, the way I spoke, the way I carried myself, all these kind of cultural indicators that marked me out in an environment that was like profoundly middle class and then going back to the world I came from and then, you know, seeing that through a very particular lens yeah. now and completely thrown back and, and, it, and it sort of leaked into my writing. Um, mm. And that's why the whenever I came to actually writing this novel, um, I, I did, I had to completely trick myself into thinking I wasn't writing a novel at all, yeah. you know, in order to actually do it. And mm. that's what I helped. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that there wasn't a lot of literature that came from where you're from, um, and and I'm I'm also and my question is more like media wise, like what books, movies, TV shows do get your area correct? Are there any that that you feel <laughs> give a true sense of? There's some, I mean, there was, I mean, the thing is, is like, there are books that have come out of the air and there's just not a lot of them. And also Mm -hmm. there's vast, there is a huge body of literature from, you know, the North six counties or some Mm -hmm. people call Northern Ireland uh, that, but their representations of what the place I'm from are, West Belfast, um, kind of ghettoize it or paint it as a kind of no-go zone. There's also then like a lot of literature that sort of, representations of people from West Belfast being almost like caricatures, you know, that they're all kind of, you know, they might wear a balaclava and have a funny accent, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they sort of have all these kind of tropes that people fall into. And so there's a degree of writing against that, but there there are novels that like, I mean, Milkman by Anna Burns is an interesting example because she's, although not from my part of the city, she's from North Belfast, Ardoin, and the, the novel is, Although it's like anonymous and we don't quite place this in a way, it's very much kind of the geography of the place she's writing about is that place. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very similar kind of cultural background. You know, it's Catholic. It's po- a lot of poverty, working class. That's her world, and that was a kind of. I remember when I read that, I remember thinking, okay, like this is this is the stuff, and this this is something that sort of speaks very directly, not even the sort of to my experience, but also to my parents' experience of living during that particular time yeah. the troubles, you know, and, and it felt like it was getting it right in a way other people weren't or mm-hmm. hadn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like a big, a big novel in, in a lot of ways for a lot of people here. Yeah. Um, but there, there, I think it's strange because a lot of the writers that I was sort of drawn to 
um, were always in America or they mm -hmm. were it was always like Dennis Johnson and uh, Flannery O'Connor and, and Alice Munro in Canada, like these kind of writers yeah. were the ones I was more drawn to. And I kind of had to do that. I think I had to sort of move away from the, I think I, I and I did, I've read a lot of literature from here, but sometimes you can be stifled by mm -hmm. the the kind of provincialism, you know, yeah. <laughs> you sort of have to move out of it in order to actually see it. Um, but Milk Mom was a big one. That was certainly yeah, a big one. Definitely. Um, yeah. I'm always curious, um, you know, because I think a lot of, not a lot, but there's a lot of American media, not just literature, it captures this like, false sense of reality almost it's like the the things you see in hollywood and on tv are like hollywood's america as opposed to like what, what literature can do obviously oh, yeah. um yeah i'm always just curious i want to wrap up um I, you're an editor for a literary magazine called the tangerine and i am curious what type of writing excites you now like what are you looking for when you're selecting pieces editing what what excites you it's interesting, but I, I say I sort of work on the short stories and mm -hmm. um, it's strange. Like, I think the thing that excites me and I've, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I've been asked, I'm, I'm getting asked the question and therefore yeah. it's a certain place where I have to think about it. But yeah, the thing that I, I sort of realized this was that I'm less interested in what the story is about than I am how it's told. And I think mm -hmm. the most exciting, the, the stories that really excite me are the ones that that just that are just formally very interesting, that have a voice that's very striking, and also that just and 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 it can be about anything. That's kind of yes. regardless of the fact. And um, and it's interesting because you'll there's a lot of you know we're we're an Irish publication, so a lot of the stories that we get sent, you know, fall into similar tropes. You know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of old men sitting in bars or a lot of funerals as well a lot of irish a lot of a lot of weddings and, <laughs> and nothing ever goes smoothly but it's the same um the same thing they all feel like frank o'connor stories but the, there's some that even are about those same things but are just told exquisitely well yeah and if someone can do that then someone can make you sort of lean in and listen to them much like an old man at the end of the bar telling you a story or yeah. something like that that, that that that's kind of the the juice for me you know Thank you so much to Michael for joining the Day Beautiful podcast first taste reading series. You can find him on Twitter at Michael McGee underscore underscore. And you can find the magazine he is the fiction editor at at the Tangerine Mag on Twitter as well. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.